Date with a Debut is a Words and Nerds and Breathe Art podcast co-production, recorded on a Wagbacool country. And I pay my respects to all elders past and present, and extend that to any First Nations people tuning in. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. On with the show. In a lot of ways, uh, the book is my own attempt to figure out what to do with all sorts of inheritances. Hello, my name is Nick Masilia, former host of Tell Me What to Read and author of When Men Cry, and I'm here for a new mini-series. We're continuing this mini-series with words and nerds shining a light on debut novelists and their journey to publication. If you are looking for a new book to devour, this is the place to be. If you're looking for writing inspiration, this is the place to be. This is Date with a Debut, because nothing hits you like a first impression. And next up in this series that we've been going for, I'm especially excited because I get to sit down and chat with Andre Dow, writer, editor, artist. His work has already been published in Mianjin, Griffith Review, The Lifted Brow. The list is actually extremely impressive. But today we are going to dive headfirst in his incredible debut, Anam, which was the winner of the 2021 Victorian Premier's Literary Award for an unpublished manuscript. And it is now set for release on May 2nd, published by Penguin Random House Australia. Andre, welcome. Thanks, Nick. It's great to, um, to be chatting with you. It is a pleasure. And I will, first of all, say that I am particularly interested uh, in your journey in light of reading this book. Uh, we always like to start off by kind of, you know, taking the the, the, the style of a, of a kind of date style with this particular book as well, uh, in this introduction. <laughs> start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you started on the writing journey? I guess uh, like a lot of uh, first-generation migrant kids, uh, you know, grew up in a household that where we spoke one language at home. So for me, that was Vietnamese. And then going to school and starting to read books was in English. And so in some ways, that was a very formative part of my childhood. Sort of, you know, I felt like I was discovering for myself a lot of classic books, um, things like, you know, the Narnia series. I have vivid memory of kind of stumbling across that myself and feeling as if that was my own discovery rather than it was something that I was really given. Um, you know, kind of the the worlds that opened up through through those books was really important to me. I think at the same time, and as we'll get into when we talk about Anam, uh, some of my family history, there, there are lots of people who... Um, who were readers and writers uh, in, in my family. Um, and so I had a vague sense of that as a kid that my parents had maybe a little bit more interest in, you know, literature or a certain respect for the role of artists and, and writers um, that set them a little bit apart from some of the other, say, Vietnamese community um, that, I, that I met when I was a kid. So I kind of had a, yeah, that kind of, on the one hand, it's very individual, like, okay, books in this way of sort of discovering the world for myself, um, but also some idea that there's something maybe a little bit important or special about being a writer. So those things all kind of came together, I think, when I was um, in late high school and I kind of stumbled across VoiceWorks, which is um, a magazine, a national magazine for young writers. Uh, and... I just remember it, kind of everything about it kind of blowing me away that 
there was this space for for writers. Um, people were writing things that I had no idea you could write about, sort of um, feelings of teenage angst and alienation, but also um, about kind of popular music and culture. And um, yeah, so it just, you know, that kind of gave me my first insight into, okay, there's actually a, a world of writers that I could maybe join. And I remember kind of trekking into the city from the outer suburbs where I was living and kind of showing up to some events where I was actually possibly a little, uh, I think it was like one pub event and I kind of showed up and they were like, oh, are you, are you even allowed to be here? And, you know, I kind of didn't really know anyone, but but then eventually, yeah, sort of just hung out for, for long enough to start to make friends um, mm. and, and start to, to write. And that's really how the journey started. Give us your one-minute pitch for a novel. So it is a novel that it, it charts one young writer's uh, attempt to come to terms with his family history. Um, and at the heart of that family history is a grandfather who uh, was imprisoned for a decade in Vietnam um, without charge or trial. Uh, and so while the narrator is trying to come to terms with that he's also has a young family himself and it's mm. trying to find a way to bring those things together rather than um and then them drifting apart which is sort of where where the novel begins is there's kind of those two parts of his life are not coming together mm. you cover it very well and you, you cover a lot of ground here you have a lot to say in this story and for, for, for listeners, I will very, I'll keep it very mildly spoiler free because I would consider it a disservice to unveil too much about what happens in this book. For me, I, it was a story about past that moment that is behind you and also how much you choose to let that determine who you are and your own identity. I lapped this book up. I absolutely enjoyed it. And I think first and foremost, I'm going to come out and say, you should be really proud of this book. It's fantastic. It's a wonderful book. Thanks so much. Yeah, um, no, that means a lot to hear that, um, especially in this sort of pre-publication time, you know, <laughs> kind of uh, in that limbo in a way where, you know, the book's finished, it hasn't come out yet. And so we're sort of waiting um, for responses to come in in a lot of ways uh the book is my own attempt to figure out what to do with all sorts of inheritances right so there's the kind of the, the familial ones so um for those that don't know the novel is it kind of borrows a lot from my own biographical mm. um details the the kind of family stories are, are very strongly linked to my own family story so for instance my um, my father's father was imprisoned for 10 years in, in, in Vietnam as a political prisoner. So mm. on the one hand, that yeah, it's what, what do you do with all of that past? There's traumatic histories in there. Um, how do you come to terms with that? How do you do justice to them? How do you honour that? But there's also, I mean, the other kinds of inheritances I'm thinking of, uh, you know, literary ones and philosophical ones. So 
you know, as I said, I grew up as a kid and books was really important to me. That continues through my kind of young adult and adult life, particularly basically, you know, kind of a whole Western canon that I fell in love with and then I began to read more widely um, kind of post-colonial literatures as well. Um, and at the same time I was studying and so I was also reading lots of philosophy and, and theory. And all of this stuff seemed like it was impossible for all of these things to be a, talking to each other, but let alone contained in the one person, which I guess is just part of, of life, is that actually um, we have all sorts of things going on in our lives, all sorts of influences, and then mm. most of the time we tell a fairly simple version of it. Um, for instance, as you, you know, the idea of this being a date, right? Like on a date you would tell a, a fairly simplified version of yourself at first mm. or when you're meeting people for the first time, um, you can't kind of just launch into this whole complex web of uh, things that are kind of weighing on your mind. But this book was my attempt to, okay, I've spent a lot of, a lot of time telling those more simplified versions of myself, okay, uh, you know, in this moment or in this context, uh, I'm an academic or in this other context, yes, I'm, I'm really interested in French literary theory, um, but it has nothing to do with like the law work that I do. All the human rights work that I've done. So this book was an attempt to say actually all of these things, including that sort of traumatic family history, are all part of me in some way, and then can I hold it all together? Then the big question in the novel is, can you hold it all together and then also not be so bogged down by it all yeah. that you can't <laughs> or have, have a future, right? So that's yeah, the, yeah, that's, that's the, the, the part that I really gravitated towards uh, just this idea of you can, how much do you let the past define you? And you you grapple with this with a lot of, we've you've, you've kind of been teetering around a little bit, but the really interesting dynamics between these characters, you know, you've got our narrator who are, who is grappling with the the characters in this, in his, in his past. But you also mentioned you've got his own family, uh, Lauren and, and, and Edith, who for much of the book feel like an anchor very much to the present, to the history that is currently being lived, that, that our narrator has control over. What was it like? I felt like a balancing act at, at some points because you, you again talked about how, how do they come together, but what was it like engaging in that space, especially, you know, with this history that we are learning more about as the book progresses? Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, part of that, I mean, it may be interesting in terms of the history of how the book was written is that, so it took me kind of over 10 years to write this book. Um, it's yeah. gone through many iterations and many drafts. And in many of the failed drafts, I, I really focused on that historical element that, you know, sort of thought, okay, this is the story of the grandparents. Mm. Um, and in lots of ways, those drafts just weren't working for different reasons. But one of the things that began to work was when the present day life of the narrator started to become more important. And it gave, I think, I mean, partly from a very, just a basic standpoint, it just gave some sense of the stakes involved for the narrator. It became less a kind of agonising, you know, kind of abstract agonising by this single person to mm. then a question of how do all of these, the weight of all of this history bog down this young family in the present? How do those histories add something to this young family? Can they give them some, something 
and and those sorts of the tensions that are there between the narrator and Lauren. I think mm. um, it also acknowledges the sense that you know this kind of worrying about the past and writing about it it takes a toll on people in in the present. Mm. Um, and so I think that was from a I guess a kind of structuring the book perspective that helped to give us a sense of okay, well, this is why this sort of matters right now. Um, mm. I think that's um, perhaps one one answer to the question. I think, well, it, it is. It's a complex question, because, and it is. A, it's a complex book, and there, you, that's again, you, you're you're talking about history, memory, memory, the legacy of past on the present day. I will say, I'm particularly impressed with how you were able to condense these huge themes down to the eponymous character. And I wanted to ask because uh, I, I did want to touch on on how your family also reacted to this particular to this manuscript. But this character, an arm, felt more like it was more than just a character for you. As I was reading it, even down to the fact that you know you actually had your real grandfather as the cover of this book. Here he is, right there. Who is an arm to you? One way to put it is, and you mentioned the condensing, right? So mm. that the way that that came about is, you know, so this book began as a fairly straightforward memoir about family history. As, you know, it it existed in my mind as a straightforwardly nonfiction project. I, I couldn't do that for. I mean, I think partly it was, you know, my own sort of, you know, abilities as a writer, but also my grandfather passed away during that mm. time when I was speaking to him. So all of these sort of, sorts of gaps uh, in what I knew I could tell. And so that as a nonfiction project, it wasn't working. And then I began to kind of write over the top of all of the, the massive material that I had, which was, you know, I keep coming back to this idea of the, of the past weighing you down. And, and so sort of, the amount of sort of factual detail that I had was weighing me down. Um, mm. I had all of these sections where I really tried to, to shove in all of the research that I'd done. Right? But once it became more and more fictional, I, you know, I started to write over the top of history and those facts and the interviews that I'd done with my grandfather and my grandmother, and that kind of began to condense it as I tightened things up more and more. Now, one of the things that I started to condense and tighten up was this voice, which is was the narrator, which you know began as just me when mm. there was a nonfiction project. And then increasingly became, you know, a way for me to figure out what I felt about things, right? And what I thought about all of the the history that I was like uncovering and reworking. And so, in a sense, I think of the narrator as possible versions of me, right? And that's part of the, the interest and joy of writing fiction, I think, is you get to experiment and, and see what things look like or how you would feel if things are a little bit different. What was interesting about that, I guess, is that then sometimes I would have the narrator have thoughts about things that I hadn't realised I had thought myself, right? And so this is kind of sense of discovery and then that by the end of the process you know I start to inhabit this person that I've been creating right so you know when the narrator has certain realizations about how to find that balance you know that 
in some ways that was a realization that I had on the page. And then I go, okay, all oh, right, that's actually something that I feel or I want to enact. Uh, and so there's this kind of back and forth really between this person that's being fully created on the page and then the person that I inhabit in my life because it's a working through of things that I couldn't have worked through in any other way, I think. It sounds very educational, like a personal growth educational ex like for you. I can, I can imagine it would have been quite like a, you took a lot of just positives that you're like, you know, I'm going to take this forward in my own life more as, um, as much. Yeah. But at the same time, without it ever, you know, it wasn't linear, right? Like it wasn't, mm. um, okay, I'm, I'm writing this in order to get better or, you know, and writing is therapy, which is an important practice for a lot of people because there was the other pull, which is away from this is how to be more present with my children, for instance, is the other pool, which is I also want to, you know, honour the the histories of what the terrible, terrible things that have happened to people in a place like Vietnam and through colonisation. I want to honour that in such a way that it's, I think, you know, in the novel I talk about it being this mad love. It's something that overwhelms what you're, you know, your kind of responsibilities in the present and your other relationships. I, you know, I really seriously felt that pull as well. And so it's, yeah, it's it's never... So sometimes, yeah, when I when I talk about that process, it seemed as if there was this straight line through it all. I certainly didn't feel that way over the last decade or so of writing it. And the educative aspects of it came only after very dark, you know, long dark nights of the soul, if you like. It comes out. It comes out on the page. It comes out that, that this has been a, a, a very uh, long, long travelled road. And this is probably a good time for me to ask about that journey to actual publication, editing process, everything around it. You mentioned it took you the best part of of ten years to to craft this book in the in the, in the simplest way possible. What was that like? What was that experience like now that you are here with the book mm. soon to come out? Yeah. So like I said, it started off as a something like a memoir or family history project. And, you know, because, um, and I mentioned right at the beginning, I got involved with a magazine like VoiceWorks. Um, and then from there I got involved in just a kind of a, a wider sort of Melbourne um, writing community through things like the Emerging Writers Festival as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was writing other things. Uh, and um, because of that, very, very early on in this project, I had a couple of informal conversations with publishers who you know, seemed really interested, but they seemed really interested in it being memoir. And that partly maybe have been something about the time, the early 2010s, a lot of people that I knew were writing memoir as well. Um, they had a sense of it as being both memoir and then quite straightforward as well. Right? So like, oh, you've got this very dramatic family story. You like, just tell that. And that'd be great. You know? And it was really counterproductive for me, those conversations. I, I think it got in, in my head 
um, in terms of the kind of voice and audience that I should be writing and writing for. Um, and I actually got really stuck um, for quite a while um, mm. after that, thinking, oh, you know, there are these publishers who are interested in it being this particular kind of book and I'm not writing that book and, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do it? And it was only really after I really, as I said, you know, I kind of realised it couldn't be this memoir, it couldn't be this straightforward story, um, and I started to try to fictionalise it. It had also been so many years since I had those conversations, um, some breaths and some funding that you know, hadn't led to anything, and I really felt actually at that point quite far from publication, you know, and it actually became a personal project again, but as fiction, as something that I was doing while studying towards a different career mm -hmm. and working. Um, and, and really what it became was this sort of daily practice. So I started to write every day. For, I was like, okay, I'm just going to work on this thing, whatever it is, for 10 minutes every day. If it goes for longer than 10 minutes, great, but that's like just this thing that I'm doing for myself and I'm not really writing it for these editors or publishers or really anyone anymore. And it was like, that was the only way that I got the first draft of the, of the book done. In, in some ways, being a part of the writing community was really important in getting my start. But then I found that for this, particularly for this book, because it was so personal and because I really, really wanted to hold on to the complexity of what I was exploring, I needed to sort of step back from what I thought others were expecting me to write in order to find the voice that you that you've that you've read in the book so that's sort of the journey to the to first uh to first draft or first full draft how did I'm, i am curious as to after this you'd finally crafted this thing what was it that made you know penguin in this particular instance say this is something that we really want to to share uh, yeah, so there was this first version of the manuscript, which had basically been read by only my my partner, who's an editor, and you know, she's read my work from the beginning and read it all the way through. And so she's read all the different versions, and she is the only person that has ever that has done that and seen it through that time. Um, so at that point. You know, I found it pretty hard to start to share the manuscript, but I did actually um, share it with a with a, it was a there was a really tiny publisher based in Melbourne um, called Brow Books that you know I knew the people around with Lifted Brow and and they actually they actually signed the book um, a few years ago when it was I think they read the first third of this manuscript. Mm. They actually went defunct over during the pandemic and so then I had this manuscript but no publisher and I still wasn't very comfortable sharing it very widely at that point a couple of trusted friends had read it as well and so I sent it off for the Victorian Premier's Unpublished Manuscript Prize partly because it felt less intimidating to send it off to a competition than it was to send it to publishers and then mm. something about the um nothing to lose it's kind of like a nothing to lose yeah. element to it yeah 
exactly yeah um so then it, i mean and then it won that which was incredible um because then my agent Beth foster she contacted me asked to read it and then you know, from from claire it, um, she worked with a uk-based agent named uh, carolina sutton and between the two of them i mean they really championed it and it got picked up at almost the same time just i think just first it was picked up by um ravi machindani in the uk um and then like a week or two after it was picked up by um meredith kono at penguin and you know it's hard to, to know or to say right why um your own work grabs someone else um i know that for one thing that ravi responded to in the book was you know he has talked about himself as having a kind of hybrid identity between pakistan and the uk and so he kind of responded to that in the novel um i know that you know, Meredith has always said that she responded very much to the character of the grandmother in the novel. And so, I mean, for in terms of what are the conversations that I've had with, with my publishers, there are sort of specific points of, of connection. And the other nice thing that I, um, that I found with those conversations was that one of my worries, I was like, oh, is, I, you know, I've never been quite sure if it's fiction or nonfiction and really blurs the lines. And they sort of said, oh, don't worry about that, you know. Um, those things are for us to help find readers, but for you, you know, you as the writer, you don't actually have to really like write the book as it needs to be written. And so, as I said, through that process, after um, Claire contacted me, my agent, I rewrote a draft after some notes from her, and then again, I rewrote a draft after notes from Ravi and Meredith. So, you know, the, the version that you're holding is many, many, many times revised. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that it's that they connected with it in their own way, which is often just the story of so many, uh, you know, publishers. It's just a, a connection thing and how they, they go with it. We are unfortunately running out of time, but I first lastly wanted to kind of ask, will you write again? Uh, I definitely will, yeah. Um, mm. What that will be, what that looks like. I mean, what I so in my other... Life, uh, I work as, a, as an academic, so you know, I'm always writing for that work. And it may well be that the next thing that I do will be a more straightforwardly non-fiction project. I have an idea for another novel, but I suspect it will take me maybe as long as this one. So mm. it's uh, yeah, I've come to. I think I've come to terms with the fact that I work slowly, and that my best work comes from that. We're at the last point of the podcast where we do fun, rapid-fire questions. No pressure at all. Uh, a bit of fun. Do you have a favourite word? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> really? So many people, they often go, oh, yes, there's this one particular word that I use a lot in my book. And then immediately they think uh, that, that of that word immediately. I love that you don't have a favourite word. <laughs> where is your favourite place to read? In bed, on the couch, or out the back on a, on, in the shade on a sunny afternoon. I love reading outside if I can, yeah. Mm. Um, and, in fact, we've uh, we've just got to the point where going camping with the kids, they're somewhat self-sufficient enough that we can get some real reading time. And, yeah, that's sort of the ideal for me is mm. sitting outside with a book. 
What's your favorite debut book that you personally have ever read? That's a great question. I feel like you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, uh, there's it's um, going blank, but um, I'm thinking of something recently where it's one of those where you go, how could that have been a debut? This is actually, yeah, this is going to be one of my recurring bugbears as I as I go and, and do um, talks about my own book is that I know that the question about other books comes up all the time and as you know, our name is full of other books and yet when I get asked, I always go, oh, I can't choose anything. <laughs> there was a book that I was blown away by recently, but it's not a debut, but I can, I can, I can tell, tell you that. Tell me that. Absolutely. The Lost Children Archive by Valeria Luiselli, a Mexican-American uh, writer, and it's a beautiful blend of uh, novel and essay about um, uh, refugee children crossing the, um, the Mexican-American border. Um, mm. A really, really smart and moving book. That sounds wonderful. I haven't checked that out, but now I will after after this and then lastly, because I, I just imagine this book was, uh, we, we touched on it, but it was a very much an exploration for you as a person and as in, in many ways. Are you happy? <laughs> and you didn't ask, are you happy with the book, but just are you happy? Are you happy as a person is my question. Mm. You know, I, I sometimes think that after spending all of this time with this, like, you know, really these really tough histories, right? In some ways, I think that it's kind of important to try to be happy, basically, is, is where I'm going to... Um, that, that is something that I feel like is one of the revelations from the narrator in the in the novel and one of my own, is mm. that um, there is actually both something worthwhile artistically... Um, but also politically and trying to be happy. Um, mm. So maybe I'll, I'll I'll dodge the question a little bit by saying <laughs> I I think um yeah I think I'm I'm happy to be trying to be happy. I like that. That's a great. I love that. That's a great way to end. And I honestly could talk to you all day, but I'm aware, unfortunately, we've run out of time. I'll simply finish by saying, Andre, thank you. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks so much, Nick. So for everyone listening, Anam is, will be published by Penguin Random House. Uh, if you like the show, drop Words and Nerds a review. Let us know what you think and who you'd like to hear from next. Thanks so much, and always keep reading.